Here is one of a series of talks by spiritual leader Lola McDowell Lee, spanning two decades from the early 70s through the 90s. Lola was a Zen Roshi, whose Rinzai lineage included Dr. Henry Plutov and renowned Zen master Shigetsu Sasaki. Lola was a religious scholar as well as an ordained Christian minister. While the talks are focused mainly on Zen and Buddhism, Lola drew on many spiritual traditions, including those of Jesus, Plato, Lao Tzu, the Hindu Vedas, Meister Eckhart, and Gurdjieff. Bodhidharma. You know who Bodhidharma was? Hmm? He was the 28th patriarch, and he brought Buddhist teachings to China. Bodhidharma. Okay? <clears throat> question put to Bodhidharma. These are the questions that were put to Bodhidharma. What do you call the mind of greediness? And the answer, the mind of ignorance. Question. What do you call the mind of egolessness? The answer, it is the mind of Shravaka, Buddha's actual disciple. Question, what do you call the mind of non-entity? Answer, it is the mind of the sages who have no connection with the teachings of Buddha but discover the truth of non-entity by themselves. Question. What do you call a mind which has no particular understanding and also no painful delusion? <clears throat> Answer. It is the mind of bodhisattva. Question, what do you call the mind which has nothing to know and also nothing to realize? And there was no answer from Bodhidharma. <clears throat> and he waited a little while, and then he said, The Dharmakaya has no form, therefore one sees it without seeing. Dharma has no voice, therefore one hears it without hearing. Pranya has nothing to be known, therefore one knows it without knowing. If he thinks that he is seeing, he sees it incompletely. If he thinks that he knows it, he does not know it thoroughly. When he knows it without knowing, he knows it completely. If one does not know this, he is not a true knower. If one thinks that he is gaining he is not gaining entirely. When he gains non-gaining, he owns everything. If one thinks that he is right, his righteousness is not perfect. When he transcends right and wrong, his virtues are accomplished. Such wisdom is the gate opener to a hundred thousand gates of the higher wisdom. All Buddhas preach emptiness. Why? because the wish to crush the concrete ideas of the students. If a student even clings to an idea of emptiness, he betrays 
all Buddhas. One clings to life, although there is nothing to be called life. Another clings to death, although there is nothing to be called death. In reality, there is nothing to be born. Consequently, there is nothing to perish. By clinging, one recognizes a thing or an idea. Reality has neither inside, outside, nor middle part. An ignorant person creates delusions and suffers from discrimination. Right and wrong do not exist in reality. An ignorant person creates them, recognizes them, near or far, inward or outward. He then suffers from discrimination. And this is the general way of the phenomenal world. Hmm? Now, a Bodhidharma, <clears throat> these questions that were put to him long, long time ago, when he was alive, of course. Now, that's a long time ago. And these are notes that were taken by some of the monks, or at least one of the monks. Somebody took them. Hmm? And then they were lost. And some people believe they were buried in, in, in the earth somewhere in some kind of a jar, you know, for about 1,400 years. And uh, they were unearthed uh, toward the end of the last century. But even without uh, notes of this kind, uh, Bodhidharma's teaching has flowed. Hmm? Bodhidharma Zen is very much alive. The flame that he lit those many centuries ago is still burning. And now Bodhidharma Zen is based on three fundamental questions. You know, the first one being Emperor Wu asking him, and I won't go into the whole rigmarole of it, but Emperor Wu asked him, you know, since I have given so much to build the temples and to persuade the people to come to you, what will be my merit? The realization of that. Bodhidharma answered, of course, none. But the realization of it. And then Emperor Wu asks, but if there is no merit to be gained, why did you come all this way from India to do what you are doing? Why are you doing what you are doing? And the answer to that was, the tree grows in the garden. And this very puzzled emperor then asks, well, you know, who are you? Who are you anyway? You know? And Bodhidharma's very famous answer, I don't know. So complete was his knowing. I don't know. Now, if you have experienced these three states, then you will understand Bodhidharma's Zen. Right? That's one form of Zen. There are, you know, then there's Waining's Zen, and there's uh, Hakuin's Zen, and uh, Rinzai's Zen, and Soto's Zen. You know? Right. Now, it is quite natural in this phenomenal world, being we are as we are, you know, that we, when we come into contact with the teaching, we have questions. 
Uh, some people have questions to the very end of their lives, you know, because the thinking mind, you know, isn't really going to stop asking questions. You know? The thinking mind raises the questions. It's like the leaves that grow on the trees, you know, questions grow in the mind. Hmm? And like leaves on a tree, we prune, you know, that is, we give, have an answer for the question. Yeah. So this one is, we don't know where we put it. Or do you know where you put it, a question when you've answered it? You know what you do with it? What do you do with it? The question, as long as it's unanswered, it sort of sits up here. But when you have it, uh, uh, supplied some kind of an answer that seems to satisfy you, what do you do with the whole thing? Huh? You're conscious. Huh? Questions keep on rising and rising and rising, huh? Because the source of the questions, you know, remains intact. Yeah. <clears throat> to find answers, true answers, huh? one has to go beyond, that is, beyond is transcending, transcending the thinking mind. One transcends the thinking mind. Uh, now, transcending the thinking mind is a state of maturity. You know, mature people, grown-ups, as we call them, you know, integrated people, yeah? They've gone to the other shore. Yeah. On the other shore, where are the questions? They've dissolved. Huh? There aren't any questions over there. They disappear. They don't exist on the other shore. They have either become irrelevant or stupid or they've lost their meaning or you can't think. Hmm? If one has transcended thinking, who is there to think of the question? Who is there to question if you have transcended the thinking mind? Yeah. So the answer is present on the other shore. It's present right here, you know, because the other shore is also here. Hmm? The answer is present. The answer is in that state itself, you know, without any particular answer. This is the answer. The state. Hmm? Existence, you know, simply is. It just simply is. It isn't a question and answer thing, existence. You know. And it isn't a puzzle. You know. We always say it is a mystery to be lived, to be experienced, to be loved. Huh? Our mysterious life. It's a quest. It's an adventure. It's an exploration. You know, and when you enter this mysteriousness, this mystery, you know, all the secrets of existence are available. And you're not even questioning anymore. You know, the gentle falling rain and the grass shows the diamonds. What else, you know? So simple, so simple. 
But usually we are preoccupied with the questions. And sometimes we have uh, sort of half-formulated notions about what the answer should be. You know, we do, each one of us, walk around with our own system of philosophy, which we have developed for ourselves. <coughs> developed, that is a kind of a, not a correct word, borrowed for ourselves. We hear this, and it sounds pretty good, so I guess I'll take that and I'll incorporate it into what I already think, you know. And then I hear something else, and, well, that sounds pretty good, too. I guess I'll incorporate that into this thing. You don't say this to yourself, of course, but, but oh, this sounds good, and this sounds good, and this sounds good, you know. And you've got some nice pie there, haven't you? It's neither strawberry nor rhubarb or apple. It's a mishmash of the whole thing. Hmm? And then that person that's that got that kind of a pie, well, thinks he knows something, you know, or that he's treading the path, at least, and making some progress. You know, uh, these mental patterns, you're, the philosophy that you have developed out of what you have borrowed, you know, is not progress. Not usually. Once in a while there's somebody that can do that, but not usually. But a mental understanding we have of a sorts. Mental understanding we should have. It's very important. I mean, these ideas that we call mental understanding do guide your lives. Yeah? So it's very, very important that it be correct understanding. Hmm? It should be based on the territory itself and not on somebody else's map. You know how people are, they meet somebody who is supposed to know, or maybe does know, you know, and here's our opportunity to question. Yeah. And if the answer that is given is the one that you look for, that you anticipated, oh, this one truly knows. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. He agrees, yeah. If the answer is not something that we anticipated, well, you know, I don't really think he knows very much after all, and this is reputation that he's got is just reputation, huh? And it's all done in our ignorance. Hmm? It is done because we don't have a correct understanding. Now, what is it that you're going to have a correct understanding of? That's something else you can think about, too. Uh, you know, one day, it was very early in the morning, and the Buddha was out for his walk. He took a walk every morning. And a man approached him and asked him, what do you think? Is there a God? Is there a God? Is there God? And Buddha looked him in the eyes, and he said, no, there is no God. Never has been, never will be. Get rid of all that nonsense. And this man was shocked. You know, 
And little Ananda was following the Buddha, as he always did, you know. To be in case the Buddha needed anything, you know, he was his attendant, and he was right there, Johnny on the spot, all the time. And he heard this. You know, he with his perfect memory. You know, little Ananda, it was because of him that the, that the, what the Buddha said was recorded at all, huh? But he was taken aback with this answer. And he looked at the, at the man as he turned to leave, and he saw this anguish on his face. And he turned and he looked at the Buddha, and he saw this tremendous compassion on his face. Ananda, he didn't know what to do, huh? It's a quandary. And uh, he, but he followed along after the Buddha, and in the afternoon of the same day, <clears throat> another man came, and he asked the same question. Is there a God? And Buddha looked him in the eyes and he said, yes, there always has been, there always will be. Seek and find. Now Ananda is very upset. And again he saw the anguish on this man's face as he left, and he saw this tremendous compassion on the Buddha's face. You know. But circumstances were such that he couldn't question him, and he wanted very much to ask, you know, what is going on? And that evening, as the sun was setting, the Buddha was sitting under a tree, and another man came along, same question, is there a god? And Buddha didn't say anything, he just motioned with his hand, you know. He made a gesture for the man to sit down there with him. And he closed his eyes, so the man did also. And they sat there in silence. Finally, about an hour later, it was getting dark. The man stood up, and he bowed, and he touched the feet of the Buddha. And he said, I am grateful for your answer. Thank you very much. And he left. And now Ananda was all at sixes and sevens. Hmm. So he came up to his very beloved teacher and he said, I won't be able to sleep unless you tell me. Three men in one day, same question, and you answered it three different ways. No God, yes God, just sit. <laughs> huh? But he says, but the love, you know, the compassion... And with this third man, something transpired. He sat in silence, and then he touched your feet, and he thanked you for the answer. And he said, Balananda says, and I was there, and you hadn't answered him at all. Well, what's going on? Buddha looked at him, and, you know, he shook his head. He says, why should you be puzzled? It was their question, it was my answer, and you're not part of it at all. But little Ananda, he persisted, you know. Ananda's quite a guy. He says, these three answers have me very confused. Please help thou me in my confusion. So Buddha said, well, the first man was a believer. He didn't come to inquire. He came to have his belief confirmed and supported by me. 
He wanted to use me for his own purposes. So I had to say no. Huh? He was so full of ideas he couldn't listen. And he needed a shock, like a slap in the face. It's like a hammer blow. Huh? Beliefs are incorrect. And I don't want to support anybody's incorrect beliefs. Have a shock so that you know. And knowing is very different than believing. The second man was an atheist. And he was also full of all kinds of ideas. And he came for the same purpose. He wanted me <clears throat> to support his non-belief. His belief in non-belief. Huh? So I had to say yes to him. There is God. Hmm? That's to help shatter his belief. Because if a belief is shattered, one does have the opportunity of looking directly. And looking directly is the only way you're really ever going to see. And the third man really was a seeker. Hmm? He didn't want an answer. He wanted an experience. He came open. He came he was available when he came, and he trusted. So I simply told him to sit by my side, and yes, you're right, you're quite right. Something transpired. When two or more persons can sit in a deep silence, something of value will happen. Hmm? And of course, imagine sitting with one such as Buddha, Hmm? You know, yeah, yeah. You know, and if you're then open and available, you know, that silence, you know, it's just going to pour into you. you know? It's like a bath, an inside bath, you know, and you'll be all cleansed. The dust, you know, disappears from the mirror. So without giving him any answer, he received the answer of all answers, huh? Silence. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know that silence? Yeah. Well, we start with the questions. What do you call the mind of greediness? Basically, fundamentally, in actuality, we're empty. But be very careful with this word. Empty is a state, and it is to be experienced. You don't think of it. You come to me and say, empty, I, I know what empty is. <clears throat> Well, anyway, it's, just be very careful you don't go to Henry and say you're empty. I have heard him. Somebody said they were empty. It's like being picked up and thrown out. Yeah. <laughs> So be very careful with the word empty. 
experience it. Hmm? Don't think it. Uh, there is a moment when we experience this emptiness. We come upon it all of a sudden in ourselves, and it seems if we're going to take one more step, you know, we're going to fall into this abyss because it's empty. And because we are empty, fundamentally, basically, actually, in reality, empty, we are. And when we come upon this in ourselves, you know, it's a little bit frightening. So what do we do? We fill ourselves. We fill ourselves with anything, with everything. Yeah? And this is greed. Now, I would like to tell you that no matter how much you fill yourself, you are not going to destroy that inner emptiness. You can't. You can't destroy what is real and what is true. You can keep on doing what you're doing, that is, covering it and covering it. But sooner or later, you're going to meet it. And it's much better if you make it sooner. No. If you leave it till later, then death will reveal it to you. <clears throat> and then it's going to be too late. <clears throat> you won't be able to do anything about it. At, and at that moment, your accumulations will be of no help. No. Death will make you very clearly aware that your hands are empty. And it'll be then a shock. Remember it. Remember I told you this. <laughs> huh? You know, it's going to reveal this emptiness and it will take away the illusion of being full. Hmm? Okay. They're all going to remember. One who sits for meditation comes upon this experience sooner. Hmm? And it is, for that one then, the beginning of transformation. You begin to know your own emptiness. And first you see, well, it's empty, and it's empty of the outer world. Well, it's just empty. Well, it's empty. Where's the inner world? There isn't any inner world. But it's empty of the outer world. That's one empty. Huh? And then you go deeper into this empty, and deeper into this empty. And then one day you will find that it is full of fullness. Huh? It's empty of the world, but it's full of God. Yeah. That's empty. And that you must experience. You can't think empty and then come to me and say, I know empty. No. What do you call a mind of greediness? <clears throat> it's the mind of ignorance. If one does not know himself, then he's greedy. If you know yourself, then you know the beauty of emptiness. You know the cleanliness of emptiness. You know the purity of emptiness. This is what we need. Knowing the emptiness, you will not be in ignorance. And not being in ignorance, you will not be greedy. Hmm? Yeah. Okay. 
What do you call the mind of egolessness? Well, it is the mind of Shravaka, Buddha's actual disciple. Uh, you know that in different uh, countries, different times, disciples are called by different names in different teachings, huh? What do they call them in this country? Hmm. In India, in the ashrams, particularly of old, they were sometimes called sannyasins. And Vedanta uses it, you know, sannyasin. So Vivekananda wrote, you know, his song of the sannyasin. You know, where seekest thou? Hmm. That freedom, friend, this world nor that can give. In books and temples vain thy search. Thine only is the hand that holds the rope that drags thee on. Then cease lament. Let go thy hold. Sannyasin bold say om. Tatsat. Om. Hmm? Disciples, students, monks. Hmm? Hmm. Buddhist disciples sometimes were called shravakas. And it means one who is capable of hearing. One who is capable of listening. One who can listen in silence is a shravaka. And egolessness is the nature of a shravaka. And Bodhidharma adds these words of Buddha's actual disciple. Yeah, because there are those who pretend to be disciples. They come to the teacher full up. Hmm? And they leave full up, having gained nothing, and nothing has happened. Because they are not in a surrendered state, you know. Because after all, it is a teacher's job to take away, you know, so that you can find the emptiness, you know. So let it be that. You know? if, you, if you do not allow it, you know, what is going to be possible for the teacher to do with you? Hmm? You know that no one can impose anything on you. Mm -mm. So a shravaka surrenders. What do you call the mind of non-entity? You know, these questions are all pretty much alike in a way. It may be the same man asks all of them, not being satisfied with the first answer. He asks the second one, and then he asks the third one. You know, it's possible. Anyway, Bodhidharma answers him and says, It is the mind of sages who have no connection with the teaching of the Buddha but discover the truth of non-entity by themselves. So, now this answer, you know, would encompass the anatta doctrine, the no self, no entity. There is no entity actually as self. This is one total whole 
without self here, self there, everywhere, self, self. That's out. <laughs> huh? See, and but Bodhidharma doesn't go into that. It is the mind of a sage who has no connection with the teaching. If you meet a teacher, you can relate to that teacher in one of two ways. You can relate to the teaching, the presentation, all that, or you can relate to the beingness of that teacher. Hmm? If you relate to the teaching, the presentation, you will become full up with your interpretation of what you heard. Hmm? You may even begin to think in doing this, well, now I'm a very special student. I can remember everything that was said, you know, or I'm very privileged. You know, I'm not ordinary. Look where I'm going to learn. You know. That's one way. That's relating to the teaching. But if you relate to the teacher himself, that teacher is a non-entity. Huh? Did you know I wasn't here? <laughs> huh? Relating to a non-entity, you will find yourself standing on your own feet. Hmm? And finally then, if you're standing on your own feet, you will follow the fundamental message of be a light unto yourself. The problem is you've got to relate to the teacher <laughs> and not to the teachings. The ultimate of you must be discovered by you. You know, it's like Plotinus put it, the flight of the alone to the alone. What do you call a mind which has no particular understanding and also no painful delusions? Hmm. It's the mind of a bodhisattva. Well, a bodhi, we know, means wisdom. And sattva means finest quality. It's the finest guna. Hmm? There are the three qualities of a the tamasic and the rajasic and the sattvic. And the sattvic is the highest, finest quality. Yeah. Bodhisattva, the finest quality of wisdom. Yeah. One is a bodhisattva before one becomes a Buddha. One is no longer in the old patterns and the old structures. One has run around that cage and this isn't it, and this isn't it, and this isn't it, you know. But the new, that full transformation or transfiguration or whatever, has not quite arrived. It's like standing on the edge of a dark night, and the dark night is behind, and the sun is just about to rise. Bodhisattva. And he takes a vow to save all sentient beings and to have compassion for all sentient beings. A bodhisattva, huh? What do you call the mind which has nothing to know and also nothing to realize? 
And there was no answer from Bodhidharma. There was just this silence. And finally, <clears throat> Bodhidharma begins to speak, you know, to encompass the questioning and maybe to stop the questions. <clears throat> what do you call a mind which has no particular understanding and no painful delusions? Well, uh, <clears throat> if you sit and think about it, of course, one of the answers that would pop into your mind would be, you know, you would, might say, well, it's the true mind. Hmm? But if you said that, what would it answer? Hmm. What is the mind which has nothing to know and nothing to realize? Well, we could say it's an awakened mind. Hmm? But does that answer the question? Mm -mm. Because if you said that to me, I would say, okay, what is an awakened mind? Show it to me. Show me the awakened mind. Hmm? But this you must know. You be the third man. I'll run around and sing the third man theme. There is an old Zen poem, you know, when the soft rain moistens my clothes, I see the Buddha without seeing. When the petal of the flower falls quietly, I hear the voice of the Buddha without hearing. Yeah. So Bodhidharma says, the Dharmakaya, which is the body of the Dharma, the body of the law, the Dharmakaya has no form. Therefore, one sees it without seeing. Dharma has no voice. Therefore, one hears it without hearing. To become so silent within yourself that nothing stirs, to be that silent. When you are that silent, you can hear the voice of silence. All of a sudden you will, oh, uh-huh. Yeah. Pranya, that is wisdom. Pranya has nothing to be known. <clears throat> wisdom has nothing to be known. Therefore, one knows it without knowing. If you know it with, with knowing, you don't know it. But if you know it without knowing, that's wisdom. Hmm? If he thinks he is seeing, he is seeing incompletely. You know, there are stages along the way. Hmm? Where one has an insight, one has a realization. But, you know, it's, it's, I am seeing, oh, I have, I had such a wonderful experience. I heard, you, would, you wouldn't believe what I heard. 
This is incomplete. It is still incomplete. That I is still in there. And at the beginning it is, of course, you know. Then that I, you know, disturbing. You know, it was Socrates in Greece, low those many years ago, when he said, you know, I only know one thing, and that is that I know nothing. That's the way to approach reality. I know nothing. Because you don't. Hmm? You can't even show me that I. What, what does it know? No. I know nothing. There is no one to claim knowledge and no one to claim realization. When he knows it without knowing, he knows it completely. You know, just like a mirror, you know, it doesn't say, I'm reflecting you, you know. The mirror reflects you and doesn't say a thing, you know. It listens to you and you blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. The mirror claims nothing. The absolutely pure consciousness claims nothing. All claims are of the ego. You can say, I claim, I claim, I claim. I did this, I had that, I had the other thing. I had this wonderful experience. I had this lousy experience. Whatever. Ego. If one does not know this, one is not a true knower. Hmm? If one thinks that he is gaining, he is not gaining entirely. You know? When he gains non-gaining, he owns everything. Remember that. Huh? When he gains non-gaining, when he arrives at that place where there is non-gaining, then he owns everything. Yeah. If there is a state of non-discrimination, <clears throat> non-judgment, non-ego, then knowing is true. In a non-ego state, non-gaining is understood. Hmm? For if there is no ego, it's a non-ego state, who is there to get claim? Hmm? And what is there to gain? The totality is all there is. You know, we sit and so we sometimes maybe can say, well, I gained this much insight. I gained that much understanding. And you poor people out there, you didn't gain what I gained. That's not gaining. It's going backwards. If one thinks that he is right, his righteousness is not perfect. <clears throat> A man of true virtue that is really virtuous is not aware of his virtue, of his goodness. He doesn't know it. He just is it. He doesn't know it. He's just natural. See? It's just like you breathe 
and the blood circulates around in your system and the heart beats, you know. You don't know it. Just in that same way, he's true. He's not trying to be somebody. When he transcends right and wrong, his virtues are accomplished. Such wisdom is the gate opener to a hundred thousand gates of the higher wisdom. All Buddhas preach emptiness. Why? Because they wish to crush the concrete ideas of the students. If a student even clings to an idea of emptiness, he betrays all Buddhas. One clings to life, <clears throat> although there is nothing to be called life. Another clings to death, although there is nothing to be called death. In reality, there is nothing to be born. Consequently, there is nothing to perish. Hmm? We've got our make-believes. Hmm? Life, death, good, bad, right, wrong, moral, immoral, virtue, sin, <laughs> and all these ideas that we have about it that we try to impose on others, that we try to impose on reality, that we try to impose upon ourselves. Let them go. Just be free. Hmm? Be like Vivekananda. Sing high that note of freedom. Hmm? Strike off thy fetters. Let darkness go. The will-o'-the-wisp that leads with blinking light to pile more gloom on gloom. This thirst for life, forever quench, it drags from birth to death and death to birth the soul. He conquers all who conquers self. Know this and never yield. Sanyasan bold say om, tatsat om. You know, we're like waves. Waves in an ocean. Huh? And yet nothing comes and nothing goes. It's always the same ocean. Whether a wave rises or whether a wave falls, the water remains the same. Hmm? There is but one, the free, the knower. <clears throat> without a name, without a form or stain, in him is Maya dreaming all this dream. The witness, he appears as nature. So, know thou art that, sannyasin bold, say om, tatsat om. Yeah.
and now made a peace and the power that passeth all understanding hold us and keep us in the love of the Christed consciousness while we are seemingly separated. one from another. And I thank you very much for coming. And don't forget the pictures. If you find Lola's talks valuable, more will be posted in weeks to come.